Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. We're wrapping up a series today called The Comparison Trap. It's about this nasty habit that we have of comparing ourselves to the people around us, looking to the left and right to see if we're okay based on what we have relative to what someone else has or what we're able to do or what our kids are doing or any number of things like that. And we know we shouldn't do it. We know that in doing that, we're going to see somebody who maybe doesn't have as much as we do and we'll feel superior. Or we'll look the other direction and see someone who has way more than us and we'll begin to feel inferior, neither of which God wants us to feel. And the bottom line for this entire series is this saying we've been hammering over and over for the last three weeks, there's no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. As soon as I look over at your car, I'm not going to be happy. As soon as you see where they live, you're not going to be happy. As soon as we see where they went on vacation, none of us happy. You know, it's just constant looking to the left and to the right. There's no advantage. There's no finish line. There's no peace in it at all. And the reason there's no win is because there's always somebody with a bigger er, skinnier, faster, you know, smarter, richer. And then for, for some, it's not even about er, it's about est, E-S-T, skinny est, rich est, cool est, fast est, you know, big est house, whatever. And, and you may achieve that for a while, and then this happens. Then you get older, <laughs> and then you're the oldest, and then it really goes south. And that's being proven more and more on the softball field for me. I'm older, and I'm getting to be the oldest, and it's not a lot of fun. And you just can't maintain it forever. You can't maintain There's just no win in comparison. You can't win that way. So the first week we hit this question, and it's an important question. It's one that everybody needs to wrestle to the ground. The question is this, whom or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay? I want to know I'm okay. You want to know you're okay. Guys, we want to know we've got what it takes. Ladies, you want to know that you're acceptable and lovable and cherishable. And, and in fact, we all want that, right? We all want to know that. I want to know I'm cherishable and acceptable and lovable, just like you. Um, that's, that's all of us, probably more for the ladies than the guys on that. But the question is, what are you looking to, whom are you looking to, to gauge that and to figure out whether or not you're okay? I know this about you, even though I maybe don't know you all that well. This is what I know about you. You're looking somewhere. You're looking to someone, to your left or to your right, or you're looking somewhere to, to get this, this thing in your head, am I okay? Last week, we, we answered that question through the lens of what the New Testament teaches us, and the New Testament teaches that there is a God who loves you so much, and that he sees you not just as a person, but he sees you as his son or his daughter, that we are to, in fact, look at God as our Heavenly Father, in fact, we stumbled upon this word that gets used. They didn't even have a Greek word for it. They used uh, Jesus' Aramaic word, this word Abba, which literally has a, 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 such an intimate meaning to it that it, it, it sound, if we were to talk today, it would sound like dad or even daddy. Now, I, you know, I, don't, I can't start my prayers, daddy. You know, I can't do that. Maybe you can. That's just a little much for me. And I don't, if you can, go for it, man. I mean, go for it. But, but that's the way God looks at us. He looks at us as he's our daddy. He's, he's, he's intimately involved in our life and wants to be and cares deeply for us like a father would for a son or a daughter. And you have been invited <clears throat> to relate to that God as father, but a perfect father. 
Not maybe the kind that you had at home. Maybe you had a great father at home. But what I find is when I talk to a lot of people about God as their heavenly father, they say, Brad, if you're going to start talking to me about God as father, I didn't have a real good father. And I don't really want to hear that. And that's when I have to kind of backtrack and say, I'm not talking about any kind of earthly father you've ever known. I'm talking about your heavenly father who is crazy, crazy in love with you. And so that's, that's what we've been invited into, the relationship that God has invited us into. One where, where we are viewed through the eyes of a father who loves us unconditionally. And the problem is as strange as that may sound, that may be new information that God looks at you that way, loves you that way. That may even sound really religious to you. But I have to tell you, the options are pretty horrible. You, you're not going to like the options. Otherwise, you will spend the rest of your life trying to find a mirror somewhere that is an inaccurate mirror, and you will spend the rest of your life comparing yourself to someone or something, and you'll never, ever really feel like you've measured up because the bar's always moving. The, the thing that's cool and hip and the thing that you've got to have today isn't the thing that's going to be cool and hip that you've got to have tomorrow and as soon as you get this, it's time to go get this. And as soon as you look like her, that's out of style. Now you've got to look like her. And you're constantly chasing something. The cool thing about God is God doesn't change. And God says, I want you to look to me. I want you to look to me to see that you're okay, that I love you, that I'm crazy about you. There is no win in comparison. Besides, when we compare ourselves to other people, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to compare myself to the highlight reel, right? I have a tendency to compare my mundane Monday through Sunday with what I think is somebody else's mundane Monday through Sunday. Let me, let me help you understand what I'm talking about. There's, people ask me, Brett, when do you get fed? You're constantly feeding us. When do you get fed? Well, I get fed when we go to Leadership Summit in August and when we go to, to a Catalyst Conference in October. Uh, there's some other times, too. I, I just spent some time this week with a really good friend, and I got fed in that process. But, but those two events, Leadership Summit and Catalyst, are big, big, big things on my calendar. I do not miss them. I, I, they're, they're already on the calendar for next year. We're just not going to miss them. But what happens, and I love these events, when, I, when we go and we listen to these speakers speak at these events, and I'm talking about high-caliber powerful leaders, guys that have built great churches, people that are, you know, we go to Leadership Summit and hear from people from the Harvard, you know, School of Business and, and economists, and we heard from Condoleezza Rice. I mean, all these people that we get spoken to, that we get to hear, <laughs> and especially at Catalyst, where we're hearing from preachers a lot, preachers who have, have you know, they've built these great, wonderful, awesome churches filled with thousands of people, buildings that would just blow your mind. And I watch them, and here's what goes through my head. Oh, well, you're not that good, and you can't preach that good, and your church isn't that big, and you just built a building, but it's not anywhere nice as the building that they just built, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And, and they'll talk about things that their church has done. And I'll be so impressed, and I'll think, man, how in the world do they do that? And, and I can, as cool as it is to be challenged by those people, there have been times I've left Catalyst and thought to myself, well, I ain't all that. Here's the thing. If I were to speak at some little town that had just, you know, a handful of churches 
and none of them were, you know, very big at all. And I was to go through and I was to recount the highlights of Cross Lane's 2012. Can we all agree that Cross Lane has had a pretty spectacular 2012? Would we be agreed in that? Yeah, you can clap for that if you want to. <clears throat> it's been a pretty good year. And if I were to speak at some, you know, little gathering with some preachers that were there, and I were to just pick the highlights of the 2012 Cross Lane year, some poor guy might leave and go, well, I'm not all that. I didn't do that, and I didn't do that and do that. And he, what he would be doing is the same thing I do at Catalyst, same thing I do at Leadership Summit, compare my mundane Monday through Sunday world with what I think is his mundane Monday through Sunday world, and nobody wins when that happens. We just lost our video feed again, didn't we? We're having trouble with this camera. I'm sorry about that. Um, where was I? I was at Leadership Summit. You do that too. You watch other people doing things, and you compare what you think is your world to what you think is their world. But the thing is, you don't know what's going on in their world. You might be standing off watching what you think is the perfect marriage, and if you really knew the truth, you'd say, well, man, I think my, my marriage might be... In you know, you might stand off and think, I wish I had a marriage that strong, or I wish I had a marriage that good, and then if you really found out, you might go, oh, I think mine's in better shape than theirs, or, you know, man, they, they drive that car, that's just the coolest car, but you don't know he's got it in the shop every other week because they can't get something figured out. You do the same thing. You're, you're comparing yourself to someone, and it's just, you don't want to do that. It's frustrating. Comparing's just awful. Let me just ask you this question. Have you been to a high school reunion lately? Boy, that, that'll open your eyes. Let me just break this off to you. This is kind of scary. I went to my high, my, I think it was my 30th. Yeah, it was my 30th. That just doesn't even sound good coming out. It was my 30th. And I'm not in great shape, but I would have, at my high school reunion, I would have only ranked about two or three guys ahead of me in terms of how good a shape they were in. That does not speak well for our class. Just let me tell you that right there. Okay, that's the first thing. That's the first th takeaway I had. The second takeaway was this. There were some beautiful girls in our class. They're the kind of girls that, you know, a, a guy like me would look at them and go, I'm not asking her out because she, she, you know, it's like the Jackson Brown song, she got to be somebody's baby, you know that song? That's kind of how I looked at some of these girls, like they would never go out with me because they got to have a boyfriend, they wouldn't go out with me. And I just thought they were beautiful. And then I saw them at the reunion, and you, you just want to go, you know, the years have been, the years have been, haven't they? they they've really... You know, it's like, what? You, you can't say it, but, but on the inside, your brain is just screaming, what happened to you? You know, what happened? And so it's just, it's a, there's no win in comparison. It's a terrible mirror, and God has invited you to take your cue about who you are and about whether or not you're okay from the one who created you, the one who loves you, and the one who redeemed you. That's what God says. God says, look in my eyes. I created you. I know you. I know what you need. You need to look to me for all of this stuff that you're looking to the left and the right for. That's not any good. That's not gonna, there's no win in comparison. God says, I, I want you to look into my eyes to see if you're lovable and acceptable and all those things. And what we said last week is when you're tempted to look to the left or to the right, God says, look, there's not a win there. You're, you're not going to get the satisfaction that you want. They are not your mirror. I am your mirror. Look at me. And if you don't, 
the the entire Bible tells us that we're going to have trouble. Remember in week one we quoted Solomon, who we've said is the wisest guy that ever lived. Proverbs 14.30, envy rots the bones. That just puts it down on, that's, that's what we call putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, you know. Envy rots the bones. That's just not a place you want to be. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That envy and jealousy and comparison just lead me to bad habits. It takes me to a place that's not good, a place that I don't want to be. Job said it like this, Resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. There is no win in comparison. Today, I want to read a parable to you. It's a parable Jesus taught. It's found in Matthew 25. If you have your Bible, take it out. We're going to be, spend an extensive period of time in this parable. If you've got a pen, you want to have that handy too because I think you might want to write something down. There are a couple of things you need to know about a parable. First of all, a parable is a made-up story. It didn't really happen. I have people come up to me all the time and say, Brad, I, I didn't realize when I was reading that that didn't actually happen. No, that's a parable. That's something that Jesus, it's a story Jesus told. Jesus did that a lot, communicated through story and illustration. Uh, great communicators do that. They'll, they'll take something that's complicated, make it simple through a story. And Jesus made these stories up. He, he, you know, this stuff didn't actually happen. He wasn't lying. He's just trying to communicate a particular point. Also, generally, parables are given to make one simple single point. And then preachers get a hold of them and try to make eight points out of them, okay, which is the difference between most preachers and Jesus. Jesus knew what he was doing. Most of us preachers don't really know what we're doing. And um, so, so I'm going to try not to do that today. But a parable was a made-up story in order to make one simple point. And in this particular stretch of the Bible, this is kind of toward the end of Jesus' life. And it's, it's almost as if he teaches a bunch of these parables. He's just teaching, teaching, teaching away. And it's almost as if um, he, he's, he's trying to get it all in before he, he leaves his disciples. It's like he's just trying to pack as much information into them as he can. And in this particular stretch, there's a bunch of parables. Uh, sometimes after a parable, Jesus would say, let me explain to you what that parable meant. And then he would explain it. Other times he would just walk away and leave them confused. You know, they're scratching their head like, what in the world did he just say? And then other times he would sit down with his disciples and he would ask them, do you understand what I said today? Do you, do you, does it make sense? And they would basically look at him and say, no, we don't, we don't get it. And then he would explain to them the parable. In this particular stretch of the New Testament, Jesus finishes one parable, and he just keeps on going. And you read this section of parables, it begins to kind of take shape. You kind of get what he's communicating if you read them all together. The other thing about a parable is that when Jesus would begin teaching a parable, he would often begin with the statement, the kingdom of heaven is like, or he, he might say the kingdom of God is, is like. And then he would explain it to you. And parables were a way of helping us to understand the way God views the world, the way God views us, the way God evaluates us in, in, um, res- with respect to our, um, our gifts and our talents and things like that. So parables are kind of fascinating. They're important, and it, it's kind of easy to get them confused. In, in this particular parable, there is kind of a surprise ending. So when we get to that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clue you in, and I'm going to remind you this is just a story that Jesus told. Uh, it's just a made-up story. And he's trying to make one specific point. Um, and, and a lot of the point that he's trying to make in this particular parable, otherwise I wouldn't be using it today, is about how to get us out of the comparison trap. Matthew 25, this is a famous parable, a parable of the talents. You may have grown up in church and you're thinking, oh, I've heard this a thousand times. 
You may never have been in church, and you, but, but I guarantee you, you will have heard parts of this before. It'll be familiar to you. Um, and, and the word talent actually means a measure of money. Okay, so we're, for, I'm in the NIV today. We're going to be talking about this in terms of gold, a bag of gold. But it could be, you know, any measure of money, a bag of silver or bronze or copper or whatever. And, in, and that's, that's, so that's, you know that going in. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. <clears throat> Again, it, and it is the kingdom of heaven, because that's what he's been talking about. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and, and here's the, the key word that I want you to lock in on. In fact, I'd like for you to circle this word. Will be like a, a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, that's the word, entrusted his wealth to them. He didn't give them wealth. The wealthy man said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you servants to, to manage my portfolios. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you, I'm going to entrust this to you. I'm going away for a while. You take my riches and you do with it what I would do with it, which is to make more of it. And, and uh, I'm going to let you manage different amounts. And I expect you to do with my wealth what I would do with my wealth. I'm, I expect you to make more. Verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one one bag each according to his ability. So, so he looked like any boss or manager or director or leader. He, he looked at his people and he said, look, you know, you've got a lot of talent. I'm going to give you five bags of money. He looked at the other guy. He said, you've got medium amount of talent. I'm going to give you two bags of money. And he looked at you and he, this was the last guy. And he said, wow, um, you're a one bagger. Okay. We're just going to give you one bag of money. That's all you get. That's where we'll see what you do with that. And again, it's a parable. It's a made-up story, and the manager knows all the people work for him, and they don't have the same skill set. And so according to their skill set, he gives these people <clears throat> responsibility to manage. Now, for the sake of the parable, one of the things that you should always ask in any parable is, where am I in the story? Because you're in there. You're in there somewhere. Your job is to figure out <clears throat> exactly where I mean, Jesus wouldn't be telling these things if he didn't want this to relate to you, so you, you're in there somewhere. Second thing you've got to figure out and ask yourself is, where's God in the story? Because you're going to be in the story, and God's going to be in the story. Otherwise, God, Jesus wouldn't be telling stories. He's trying to relate you to God. So um, that's, that's, that's what you need to ask yourself. You, so for the sake of this parable today, let's just say this. We're not five-baggers, Right? We're not five-baggers. We're not that good. We don't have that much. There's always somebody that has a little more than we do, a little more talent, a little more time. There's somebody with a bigger er than us. But we're not one-baggers either, okay? There's somebody a little less. The great theologian, C.E. Buzzy Wilson, my father, the truck driver, uh, one, time, one time said to me, Brett, don't ever think that you're better than anybody and don't ever think that you're worse than somebody. There's always somebody better. There's always somebody worse than you. You, you just pay attention to what you've got in front of you. Pretty good advice from a, a man who spent his whole life driving a truck, I think. And so um, we're just two baggers, okay? That just kind of describes us. We, we, we don't get five. We're not that good. Don't get one. We're not that bad. We're two baggers. That's the life we live. That's where we live. Um, the end of verse 15. Then he went on his journey. Verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So he goes out. He invests. He, you know, over time, a great deal of time, we will find out in a few minutes. Over time, he's able to double his master's money, and he got five bags more money. So also, verse 17, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So that guy goes out. He invests. He comes back. He's doubled his money. 
Verse 18. But the man who, <clears throat> who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, Jesus said that, and his audience goes, ooh, bad. Because they know, intuitively, they know, we know this story's not going to end well, and we pretty much know who it's not going to end well for. That's not cool, what that guy did. It's like, you don't even have to finish the parable, right? You know when I tell you that two guys went out and doubled the money, and one guy went and buried his in the ground, you know this story's not going to have a happy ending for somebody. It's like, no, I don't want to be that guy. We, we don't want to be that guy. <clears throat> Jesus, <clears throat> it's horrible when you're speaking and you, this happens right here. This guy has taken one bag of money. Jesus doesn't tell us what he's thinking, but I, 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 I think we can pretty much figure out what he's thinking. Here's what he's thinking. Well, I didn't get five bags of money. If I'd gotten five bags of money, I might have gone and tried to do something really cool with it. I didn't even get two bags of money. All I got was one little piddly old bag of money. And I can't do anything with one bag of money. And the reason this is important, Jesus says this in the story next, after a long time. The reason that's important is when you read all of Jesus' parables, after a long time literally means after a lifetime. At the end of your life, after you have lived your whole life, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. In other words, he's now going to ask them, what did you do with what you had? That, that's the question that's going to be on the table. What did you do with what you had? Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, and he could not wait for this day, right? He's like, is he, is he back yet? Is he back yet? It's like some of you, when you go to work and your boss gives you the right, it gives you something that's in your sweet spot, and you hit a home run, you knock it out of the park, you can't wait for the boss to come back to show him what you've done. It's like, is he back yet? Does he know what I did? Wait till he sees what I've done at work. I mean, you just can't wait. That's the way this guy is. Master, he said, you entrusted me, there's that phrase, you entrusted me, you didn't give me this money, you didn't put this on loan to me, you entrusted this to me. In other words, this is what you've allowed me to manage that belong to you. You've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five bags more. Verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. At which point, the people who are listening to Jesus tell this story are saying to themselves, what? A few things? Listen, five bags of gold is not a few things. When you understand that five bags of gold would have been about 30 or 40 years worth of wages for these people, they hear a few things and they're like, "Woo!" So, you know, that this few things, you, you wonder what's going on in Jesus' mind to equate 30 or 40 years worth of wages with a few things. And, and even if this was silver, we're using gold, even if this was silver, this would still be a considerable sum of money. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. In other words, this manager did what any good boss is going to do. He says, you know what? You were faithful with a little bit of responsibility. I'm going to give you more responsibility. You were faithful and trustworthy with this little bit that I gave you. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to just give you a whole bunch more. Let's see what you can do with a whole bunch more. Verse 22. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, and he couldn't wait either. Okay, this guy's, he's chomping at the bit for the boss to get back. You entrusted me, there it is again, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, if this was a movie, this is the place where the sound, and the movie had a soundtrack, this is where the soundtracks would change, right? This is where the Jaws music would start. Or if it was a soap opera, it would be that place at the end where they go, and the guy takes his glasses off and looks at the camera, you know, and does one of these for, and holds it there until they fade to black. Or, you know, I've never understood that because that's all I do all day is watch soap operas, in case you can't tell. Actually, my dad, C.E. Wilson, the theologian, is the one who watches the soap operas, and I have to watch them with him when I'm there. So, so I have seen that done more than once. Anyway, it's at this point in the story that the music would begin to change, and you would realize, oh, it is not good. This is not happy music anymore. You know, you're watching a movie, and it's all happy, and it's all flowers, and it's all wonderful, and then the music changes. And, it, it's, and, and then all of a sudden, it's all going dark, and you're like, no, this was such a good story. Why does it have to be dark? But that's kind of what's going on in this story. And he's thinking, so this guy, the master has come back. He's thinking, probably thinking to himself, where did I bury the money? You know, it's been so long. He may have forgotten about the money. He may have thought the guy was never coming back. And he's gone, he's lucky if he even knows where the money is. He comes back, you know, because this guy's been gone for a long time. 24, verse 24, the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, and I want you to notice. I want you to highlight this in your Bible. I want you to notice what he does not say. He does not begin his sentence with, you entrusted me, like the other two guys. See, it's a matter of perspective. It's how these two guys saw their, what, what this guy had done. He entrusted to them something. This guy doesn't see it that way. Somehow he's lost sight of the fact that this was entrusted to me and, he, and, and, and that, you know, that he's supposed to do something with it. Instead, he starts pointing his finger at the master. Before he even talks about what he did with the money, he's kind of blaming the master for this whole thing. He says, look, before I tell you what I did with the money, I just need you to know it's kind of your fault. Okay, just saying, kind of your fault. So, you know, hold your judgment and let me get my whole story out. But I just want to let you know, the story's not going to end well, and it's your fault that it doesn't end well. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I know you're a winner-take-all kind of guy. I know you're a hard driver. I know you get your fair share. I know you collect out of, you don't leave anything in the margins for anybody else. You collect it all up. I know that about you. I know what kind of guy you are. Verse 25, so I was afraid. See, it's your fault. I was afraid. Now, before you get mad at me, you need to understand this is really your fault because you scare me to death, and I was afraid. And anybody in my situation would have done what I did because of the way you are, to which we would add, except for the other two guys. They knew what kind of guy this guy was too, but somehow they had the wherewithal to go out and invest the money and double it a little bit. So this guy, you know, he's trying to make excuses for himself. 
So I was afraid, verse 25, went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you, not here is what was entrusted to me. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Now the word wicked there, the little Greek word there can be translated worthless. That might be a better way to translate that. You worthless, lazy servant. I want you to get this. He's not mad that the guy, you know, he's not mad because he did something bad with the money. He's mad because he didn't do anything with it. He's not mad because the guy went out and did something illegal or immoral with it. That's not what's making this guy mad. What makes the, the wealthy man mad is that this guy's done nothing with it. You almost get the impression. I mean, I'm certainly reading into it at this point, but you, you, one could say you wonder if this guy would have even gotten upset if the guy had come back and said, I lost it. I took it to the racetrack. I bet it on number seven. I had a tip. I thought it was going to make us tenfold. It didn't. I lost your money. I mean, again, it's a parable. You don't know, but you just kind of think this through. You think, you know, he, he might not have been as mad about that as he is the fact that this guy just didn't do anything. He buries it in the ground. He comes back. He says, here's the exact amount you gave me. I'm going to give it back to you. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And everybody in Jesus' audience is thinking, well, that's exactly what I would have done. I mean, I would have just buried it in the ground. I'd have brought something back for this guy. I mean, we all know what he's like. Sure, we would have have made sure he had something. See, he didn't see it as something that had been entrusted to him. He missed the whole point of the exercise. Verse 28, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags, to which we we get all Christian now, and we don't like that. And we say, what's he giving it to the guy with five? He already has a bunch. He should give it to the guy with two so that they can be even. Or, you know, you would say, well, at least at the very least, God, what, Jesus, what, what this guy should do is he should split it among the other two guys. He shouldn't just give it all to the one. But see, the, the thing with that is, Jesus is saying, look, I'm, first of all, this is a made-up story. It's a parable. Don't get crazy. Didn't even happen. Uh, besides, every good manager, every good business manager knows you give more opportunity to the one that shows you that he can do something with it. And this kind of shows you, gives you a perspective from, from heaven's perspective. Verse 29, for whoever will be given more, for, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is where, this is where I need to remind you this is a parable, okay? This didn't really happen because <clears throat> we immediately hear that and we go, Oh my goodness, he threw him in hell. No. Oh my goodness, what Jesus is saying is if you don't manage your money well, you're going to hell. That's the end of the sermon. Let's all bow our heads now and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know, thank you for this parable. No. He doesn't send this guy to hell. This is a rich man. He can't, rich people don't send people to hell. That's not the point of the story. You say, well, what does it mean? What does it, you know, he said, what it means is this guy's saying, you're not going to be in my inner circle. You're, you're not somebody that I'm going to be sharing resources with, and you know, you've kind of shown me that you're not going to really do a whole lot with it, so you're, you're, just, you're going to be kind of left out. You're, you're not going to be a part of the, the whole big inner circle thing. But what does it mean that, that he sent him outside? What does weeping and gnashing of teeth mean? See, 
Weeping and gnashing of teeth does not mean pain. We read that and we think pain. It's not what weeping and gnashing of teeth means. It means um, weeping and gnashing of teeth is frustration. Have you you ever gone, oh, I can't believe I missed that opportunity. Oh, I should have called her. Oh, I shouldn't have sold that. You know, whatever that thing is where you go, oh, daggone it. And you kind of clench your teeth, and it's just that moment where you realize it, it got past. It's frustration. And weeping is about a missed opportunity. Jesus is saying, the guy that didn't see that this was entrusted, with, he, that he was entrusted with an opportunity to do something great with what he'd been entrusted. And, and he's saying he just missed the point. And so he's just going to blame the rich guy all day. He just basically says, and the rich guy says, look, I can't deal with this anymore. You know, these two guys over here have a future. This guy over here, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't, we're just not going to do it anymore. And then Jesus, because he is the brilliant communicator, he just goes on to the next parable. And it's like, wait, 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 you've you got to explain this. And, and when you read the rest of the parables, it, it kind of becomes pretty clear what he's trying to get across. But here's the point today. <clears throat> what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. Okay, let's understand that. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. Essentially, all of us have something, and we, we, we know intuitively that the issue isn't necessarily what I have. The issue is, what am I going to do with it? Jesus says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, <clears throat> operates under this principle. Let me illustrate for you. You have a certain amount of time in the day. We all have a certain amount of days left in our life, okay? We're all on the clock. I hate to break that to you. I know it's not a nice thought, but it's the truth. You have a network of friends. You have a certain level of influence. You have um, family. You have a certain level of education. You have a certain amount of, of money. I mean, it may not be a lot, but you've got some level of money. You, you have a job or a profession or something that you kind of know how to do to, to make a wage and, you know, turn a profit. You've been given some talent, some skill. You have some health. It may not be great health, but you have at least enough health to get you here today. So you've got some level of, of health. And then you have that thing that I can't put my finger on and I couldn't really describe it, but it is that thing that makes you who you are. It is that thing that makes you uniquely you. It is that thing that makes you different from anybody else on the planet. That thing, it, it's, it's, and, and this isn't a pep talk, okay? I'm not trying to make rally the troops and send you out really feeling good about yourself. It's the truth about you. God has given certain things only to you. He's given you a certain perspective. He's given you certain family and friends. There's just certain things that he's, 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 he's set you up to, and he's made, he said, I'm going to pour this, fill in your name, I'm going to pour this into his or her life. No one else is quite like you, and that is what has been entrusted to you. You like some of it, some of it you don't like. Some of it you'd say, Brett, I, I wish God would take that part away. You wish you had more time. You wish you had finished college. You, 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 know, you, you wish that you, you could change your story. You'd say, I don't like this part of my story. This part of my story is ugly or it doesn't end well or it's not going well or whatever. I don't like that particular part, but it doesn't matter. This is who you are. And here's what Jesus is saying. 
What you have is not nearly as important as what you do with what you have. You know, it's interesting. Our favorite stories are not stories that start out with somebody who's rich. (laughs) Our favorite stories are stories about people who start out with nothing. And they don't allow that to get them down, and they don't allow that to to taint their whole world. They don't allow that to, they don't sit back, they don't allow that to make them sit back and go, well, I don't have as much as him, so I'm just not going to do anything. I only have one bag of gold. I can't do anything with one bag of gold. Those aren't the stories we like. The stories we like are of people who started with very little, pulled themselves up by the bootstraps, didn't look around at what everybody else had, looked what they had in their own pail and said, you know what, I'm going to maximize that. I'm gonna, I, I mean, it's not a lot, but I'm going to take that and I'm going to make as much out of that as I can. Those are the stories. These are the people that we say, you know what, that's a success. That's what inspires me. This guy didn't have anything, and look what he did with it. That's what motivates us. That's what inspires us. Because successful people just know intuitively, they just know it's irrelevant what you have. It's very relevant what you do with what you have. That's true of everybody. But when Jesus taught this parable, here's what he implies. That if you are a God-fearing person, if you're a God follower, everything has been placed in your hands by God, the good stuff and the bad stuff which might be a curveball for some of us this morning. When I start to explain to you that parts of your story that you would say, you know, I don't want that, I don't like that, that's an ugly part of the story, that I would say God has allowed that to come into your life too. That's somehow, that that Jesus is saying it all came through the filter of his love, his grace, and his plan for your life. And some of the negative bad stuff in your life is a part of God's plan for you to leverage for him. I can't explain that. I can't explain that in my own life. But I know this. I know that God has given to us a bunch of stuff. Some of it we like, some of it we don't like. And it's a waste of your time and mine to complain about what's there and what's not there because what you have is your opportunity to do something spectacular for God and for the kingdom. But here's the thing. We get to, if we're two-baggers or five-baggers, we get to, And we have to, if we're a one-bagger, give an account to God someday for what we did with what we've been given. That the day comes when we will say to him, God, this is what you placed in my hands, the good stuff and the bad stuff. Some of it I really liked. Some of it I didn't like at all. But I, I did the best I could with what I had. And, you know, there's parts of my story that are glorious and wonderful and awesome. And are there other parts of my story that are embarrassing and, and they're hard to deal with and I don't know how to explain it to anybody? Um, but, I've, you know, this is what you gave me and I'm going to give an account to you today for what you've given to me. That's going to happen for all of us. What are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? Let me just be transparent in front of you. Every day of my life, I've caught myself comparing myself to the left and to the right to someone or something. I do it all the time. I find myself all the time saying to myself, if I had their gifts, if only I had their talent, if only I had their story, if only I had fill in the blank, if I had that, I would be unstoppable. And, and we do what the guy with one bag of money did. We, we start off the speech with, God, 
this is kind of your fault. I'm going to let you know what I did, but this is kind of your fault. If you'd come through for me, if you'd have made this a little better for me, if you made me a little better looking, if you'd give me the ability to sing so I could go out and make fun for a bunch of money, you know, that had been helpful. And we would never say that out loud, but there is this sense in which we compare ourselves to other people, and what we're really saying is, God, it's really your fault. You didn't give me enough. You stuck me in that family. I didn't, you didn't let me finish my education. You know, you could have arranged all this differently, and you didn't. You could have given me more talent or more skill. God, you could have given me a better story. The story I've got is an embarrassing story. And if I'd had their story, it would be much better for me, and I could have done more for you. That's kind of how we talk to God. And Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of, in the kingdom of heaven, the story, it, that doesn't work. God doesn't want to hear that. That's not, that's not going to fly. Even when you read the parable, you know intuitively when you read this parable, the guy that stuck his talent in the ground, you know it's not going to end well for him. God expects more of us than that. What are you going to do with what he has entrusted you with? So as we boil down this series, okay, let's, let's do what they taught us in Bible college, which is to land the plane. And you guys are going, about stinking time. Land the plane. Okay. So how do we take the comparison trap and boil it down? This is, there's two thoughts that I really want to leave you with and hope that, that these have been able to change your life in some way. For the rest of your life, I hope you will take your cue about you and how you're doing from the one who created you and loves you and redeemed you. For the rest of your life, take your cue from the one who created you, loves you, and redeemed you. That every time you're tempted to look to the left or to the right, you're going to say, no, 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 that's not my mirror. That's not where I'm looking. That's not where I get my sense of okay. God, you are my mirror. You are the one that I get acceptance from. You are the one that says I'm okay. I know it's not all perfect, but you love me. That's the first thing I want you to take away. And number two, for the rest of your life, and this is a biggie, celebrate what God has given to others and leverage what God has given to you. Celebrate what God has given to others and leverage what God has given to you. That's it. That you would say, God, I'm glad she gets that. I'm glad she looks that way. I'm glad he drives that. I'm glad she lost four pounds. I'm glad they get to drive that. I'm glad they get to live there or go there. I celebrate them, but I'm not going to compare to them. God, you, you, you obviously think that they deserve or that you can trust them with that and one day they're going to have to give an account for that here's the thing god what you've given to me i only have to give an account for what you've entrusted to me i don't have to give an account for anybody other than me which is a real blessing when you think about it you don't have to account for your neighbor and what they're doing with their resources all you have to do is give an account for what you've done and god says what are you going to do so i celebrate them I celebrate what they have. I celebrate what they've been given. And I'm going to leverage what God has given to me. I, this one last little thing I'll share with you, just to kind of really put this on the bottom shelf. I'll, I'm going to be real open with you right now. I went through Bible college, and through Bible college, I would go on these internships through the summer, and I, I had the privilege to work with some incredible pastors and work in some really neat churches um, I got to do two summers with a guy who was one of the best youth pastors I've ever seen. I mean, this guy was amazing. He ran unbelievable programs, and he would bring me in, and I would be like the fun guy, 
and the kids would want to hang around with me, and he would do all the work, and he would set me up to look like a genius and a hero, and, and it, it, he just was so good to me. And I watched him do youth ministry, and I thought the whole time I'm watching him do youth ministry, that's how I'm going to do youth ministry. One little problem. This guy was an incredible administrator. He would do these awesome programs in the summer, all this programming, and it, and, and it was so organized. There's just one problem. I cannot organize my way out of a paper bag. All right? If you know me, you know that. You know this. It's a, it's a beautiful mind up here, boy. It's, it's bad. It's real bad. And I got out into youth ministry, and I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it the way Robbie did it. No, you're not. It was horrible. I, I, I tried to do these programs, crash and burn, failure all over the place. It just was not good. It wasn't pretty. i tell you something else. When it came time for me to start preaching, I had a preconceived idea based on the preachers I knew and how they did it and how I watched them. And I would look to the left and look to the right and like, okay, that's how we do it. And that's how I'm going to do it. And it wasn't me. I, I have a very, very limited skill set. You may not know me very well. Um, if you don't know me real well and all you know is just what you get from me up here, I can make you think that I've got it all together. I don't have it all together. My skill set is minuscule, trust me, okay? There's like four things that I could give you that I can do fairly well, and you get me outside of that, I'm awful. I mean, I'm awful. And our elders, what our elders have done is they have hired good people around me and said, Brett, you just operate in the sweet spot. And every week they allow me to swing at the most cush pitches you can imagine trying to hit them out of the park with my skill set. There's a lot of stuff I don't do well. And in the early days I was looking, and you may, you say early days, Brett, you still haven't got it figured out. And that's entirely possible. But in the early days I didn't have anything figured out, didn't know how to do any of that. And, and I was trying to do it the way all these other preachers did it. And finally I had to say, you know what, that's not me. I can't do that. I'm like David trying to wear King Saul's armor. It's just not going to work. I'm a slingshot guy. I'm going to have to use my slingshot. Get the armor off of me. I can't go in this is what David said. And, and, and in a large part, I, I kind of had to figure out how to do ministry my way without comparing myself to everybody else. Because you know what? If I kept comparing myself to everybody else, I would die. I, it would just be so horrible and so awful and so you know, the elders have just kind of figured out a way to figure out, okay, this is how Brett does it. We're going we're gonna to put the stuff around him that he needs to help our church to be successful. And that's kind of what goes on. Because here's the thing. The alternative is terrible. The alternative is that I'm constantly comparing myself to the left and to the right, trying to be something that I'm not, trying to be somebody I'm not. And God says, you know what, Brett, you and I both know that's not you. So just be you. Yeah, your story's mangled, your story's got issues, your story, there's parts of your story you, wouldn't, you don't like, but leverage what I've given you. And so that's all I'm trying to do. That's what I want you to do. As you go forward, celebrate the gifts that other people have and leverage the things that God has entrusted to you. Can you imagine what would happen in this church if we did that? But think about this. Can you imagine what this nation would be like if just the Christians, just the Christians, stopped comparing themselves and started taking their cues from God and, and started to celebrate what other people have and leverage what they've got. Those are the lessons.
from the comparison trap. Stop trying to do that. You're just, you're on a treadmill. It's going to kill you. All right? Listen, last thing I'm going to say, God is crazy about you. He's crazy about you. Let's pray. Father, there's something in us that, that, that pulls us to look to the left and to the right. It's not your will. It's not how you want us to be. You have entrusted to us a skill set, some bigger than others, but we all have one. And the question is not what is Junior or Fred or Hank or anybody else doing with their skill set. What am I doing with mine? Some of it is is a story that I don't like. Some of it's a story I do like. Some of it's gifts I really love. Other things are things that I just don't do very well. But one day I'm going to stand in front of you, and I will not give an account for Fred, Hank, or Harry. I will give an account for me. What will I say to you, Father, on that day? I want to be able to say that I took my cue from the one who loves me, died for me, redeemed me, created me, and that I celebrated what other people had, and I leveraged what I had. May we do that, Father. We need your help in doing that. We need your help for a living. We need your help in everything. Father, we can't do this without you. We know that. We confess that to you. And we ask you now, make us the believers you're calling us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.